Hey guys, and welcome to another installment of the PH Journals. Um, yes, this podcast, we're already on episode 22, and time is flying. It's incredible, and uh, it's I've been so fortunate to share this amazing journey with you guys. So uh, yeah, super pumped for today's episode. Got a couple of things lined up, and I uh, just can't wait to share it with you guys. So um, guys, yeah, before we get into it, um, of course, there's people that have been with me along the way, and I'm so fortunate for their love and support. And um, yeah, so just to mention a couple of names. First one, a big one out, um, Tacticam. Big shout out to the guys at Tacticam, delivering an excellent camera, uh, action camera for, for your hunting to self-film yourself when you're out in the bush. Um, it's becoming in a, a part of everybody's gear bag now is to try and um, film themselves when hunting is to capture those moments and um, yeah it's definitely to make it a lot special so um, a lot more special sorry but a big shout out to Tacticam another one big one out there is a big shout out to Max's Tires part of being a professional hunter you um, some of your biggest expenses are, are out in the bush uh, on your pickup especially your your bucky um, and one of them is your tires. So um, I'm very fortunate to have Maxis. Not only do they deliver a top quality product, um, they're super supportive. And um, yeah, they pretty much, you can get them all over South Africa and it's it's a fantastic tire, really. I'm using the Maxis Razor, the mining application, Mud Terrains, <clears throat> and um, unbelievable. Three plus hard wall, it's next level stuff. So um, yeah, super stoked to be associated with Maxis tires. Then another big one for me, and it's it's become a very special part um, of my journey, and uh, I'm super pumped to have them on board. Um, we're splitting image taxidermy. You know, the incredible part about it is I've always proud myself on on selling, promoting, or using top quality products, and especially as a professional hunter, you always want to recommend the best to your clients because you know. When the safari is over, you want them to be treated as best as possible. And of course, you know, you can do that now with confidence with splitting image. Um, they're fantastic. As far as their artistry goes, they're unbelievable. And, you know, for me, it's all about satisf customer satisfaction. Uh, after the sales service, pretty much with the professional hunters, the communication is extremely key. And, um, you know, they pretty much handle everything for you. And it, it makes our job a whole lot easier and you know at least my clients have um, a peace of mind when they go back home knowing that their trophies are taken care of as best as possible so big shout out to splitting image taxidermy and then last but not least trees and camera um, yes these guys have been with me now for about two years and I'm so fortunate to have them on board um, they supply excellent quality camo and you know for myself gear is probably you know especially camos are some of the most important um essential items in your bag so you know for me they they're top quality not only is it great camo they're great quality as well so that makes it key and you know as a professional hunter you want to try and eliminate all your costs and one of them is clothing and they just do that i mean they've lasted now um, longer than any other gear that I've had. So uh, big shout out to Trees and Camera. 
guys, and something that's very close to my heart and it's developed, you know, it's pretty much net widespread now and it's it's become a huge issue. Um, and I would love to use this platform to not educate but but and not promote, but make people aware of what's going on out there. And the big one is farm murders. Um, it's an incredibly sad thing to see. And uh, my condolences from, from myself and the team go out to every single farmer that's lost a loved one. And now with the burning of their farms, it's it's crazy to see how our poor farmers, especially coming out of one of the worst recorded droughts, are now suffering this whole political damaging um, crime that's going on out there. So a big shout out to our farmers. Um, lots of love and lots of prayers to you guys. Um, you know, I'll I'll keep doing whatever I can as far as, you know, making people aware on my platform. And that's that's my goal is to make as many people aware as possible. So a big shout out to all our South African farmers. Um, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with you guys. Then, um, guys, a big one. If you would like to get involved with PH Journals podcasting uh, as far as sponsorship, donations, whatever the case may be, please stick around to the end of the show where I can supply you with some special de- details and you know some pretty cool advertising. Um, and yeah, I'll tag all the links in, in my descriptions below. Hopefully it comes up on most of the podcasting platforms like Podbean, Spotify and all that. Um, if you're unsure, you can always head along to my YouTube channel. Uh, it's the PH Journals. And um, have a look there. I'll tag it in the description below. And you can just find out a little bit more on how you guys can get involved as far as PH Journals concerned and some of the sponsorship deals that we have on offer. Um, and then, guys, uh, you'll see I've been drinking some coffee (laughs) during the show, Uh, the official um, beverage drink of the PH Journal's uh, podcast, sponsored by Designer Health Products. Um, They're local guys, they're fantastic. Uh, I really enjoy their company and would love to have them on the podcast in in the coming days. Um, But they supply a whole range of really cool items and and one of the reasons why I've partnered with them was because I can see these items for myself, using them in the bush um, and just making sure that I'm hydrated um, and I've got the best possible care when I'm out there. So uh, one of the products that they do and I've been having a couple of these on um, on my podcast is the CBD coffee. I had it last week, I'm having it again this week. It's incredible. It just relieves a little bit of an anxiety, um, just calms you down a bit. And there's, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If I just quickly read you on the back of the, um, it doesn't have any THC, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it just helps you with the jitter-free. Um, you know, something I read about CBD coffee and was very interesting to me Um I see a lot of benefits when people use it in Parkinson's. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm not too clued up, but I just I just read it the other day, and yeah, so CBD is doing some fantastic stuff out there, and uh, yeah, definitely head along um, to Designer Health Products. I'll, they've got a social media platform that they work from, and I'll tag them in the link below. Uh, 
this CBD coffee is brought to you by Healthy Coffee Guy. So comes in a nice little, neat little packaging, um, but fantastic. It's, it's whole beans. Um, so, yeah, awesome. Had it last week, and I've been having it throughout the week. Um, yeah, just really, it, it's, it's an amazing effect that it has on you. It just sort of relaxes you a bit. And like I said, it's cool that it doesn't have any of the THC um, psychotic things in it. So that's awesome. So, um, yeah, <clears throat> you can feel safe to have it any time during the day. And it always just, you know, CBD is one of those um, things that I highly believe in. And as far as my joints go with... Um, rugby injury but that's all for another discussion so big shout out to designer health products um thank you so much guys it's it's great to have you on board and uh, i really appreciate all the support well guys without further ado let's get into it Hey guys, so uh, yeah, um, part of the PH Journal's journey that I've taken forced me into a situation, especially now during COVID, to think of another way of making a, a bit of an income. And um, one of the ways was for me to um, help my fellow PHs. And the way I thought about it was maybe designing an e-commerce store that I could sell products that I believe work when I'm hunting with clients out in the bush. And um, that was the whole model around PH Toolbox. So you'll see that yesterday we came to an end of the affiliate marketing program where people got the opportunity to sign up and eventually become a registered affiliate marketer for PH Toolbox, which is pretty cool because... I think across the board, whether you're a professional hunter, ranger, vet, um, wildlife enthusiast, it gave you the opportunity when the season was quiet to earn a little bit of extra money. And that was my idea. Um, and earn money on quality products that you believe work out in your specific field. And that's how I designed PH Toolbox. So, um, yeah, it was something very special, but something I want to do on each and every podcast is just spend a short amount of time promoting some of the items that I have been selling um, in there or that I plan to sell in the future. So one of them was um, 10,000 uh, empowered solo power bank from Solomart, from Solomate, sorry. It's great because I got the bigger brother. It's 20,000 amp hours. It comes with the LE, LED um, torch on it comes with the integrated hanging battle which is pretty cool I've always just used mine on my golf bag um, and uh, yeah it's water resistance up to four times IPX which is pretty cool as far as water resistant goes it's pretty much waterproof so um, yeah it comes with three three year warranty of, of course it's eco-friendly and robust um, mine actually fell out of my golf bag um, on my way to the course the other day and rolled around in, in the back of my pickup and uh, when I got there it had a few bumps and scratches on it but it, it you know I knew it wasn't harm because of the robust case it's got so 
Yeah, fantastic. It's just one of those items that you, you want to have at all times with you when you're in the bush because no matter what happens, you can always just charge your phone, uh, charge your watch, um, pretty much on the go and using solar power, which is great. So um, awesome product. Um, I haven't launched this one. I've launched the Bigger Brother. I haven't launched this one, but I'll be launching it in the next couple of weeks. So pretty excited about that and uh, can't wait to get going. Okay, guys, so... Um, Sorry, I need to get to my place here. On the podcast today, we're going to be discussing tops and sites. So for me, it's just one of those programs that um, I believe in South Africa it works. Um, Our nature conservation has done some fantastic work over the past couple of years to... um, to put these systems in place for us not to abuse our wildlife or just to get some figures and stats that are going on around the field. Um, so a quick write-up about CITES. I'm going to read it straight off um, the actual CITES uh, website. Um, it's an international agreement between governments. It um, it aims is to ensure that the international trade of specimens of wild animals and plants does not threaten their survival. So that's basically exactly what CITES is. Um, My question around it is, are there there certain species that need to be on there? Um, Because as far as hunting goes, you know, when you look at it from, from a hunting perspective, there's... There's not. I'll get into the species. I'll I'll name a listing of them, but um, there's some of them as far as the hunting um, criteria is that don't really need to be on there, and that's pretty much what mainly what CITES is for is for the hunters to get permits for them to export their trophies. But the question is, <clears throat> it's the international trade of the specimen of wild animals and plants that does not threaten their survival. That's that's what CITES stands for. What it should actually help with is CITES needs to be added onto forestries, people that are looking to, you know, expand the land so 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 inhabit where wildlife is. If that, you know, taking away their habitation, does that not threaten their survival? So for me, I think CITES needs to spread across the board. Um, At the moment, it's just for trade. So, you know, um, for instance, we'll get into the full list. I'll mention a couple of names now. There's over 38,000 species on this list from plants, reptiles, birds, uh, fish, invertebrates, and even amphibians. So there's a whole bunch of them out there, but what it actually stands for and what it, what I think it should branch out to are two different things. So let's get into the list for the African animals. <clears throat> and for me, as we go along, I'll, I'll mention and I'll say which whether I agree with it or not, and there's only one or two of the species in, in the list that I, I really think that I understand that they that they um, are threatened, but I don't think hunting is threatening them. I think the their habitation, the, the, the def- defamation of their habitation, 
is threatening. So um, an interesting thing, I was in Port Elizabeth this past week, and one of the most incredible things I've seen, you know, like mongoose in the middle of the city, um, they've pretty much adapted to city life now. So there's a species in, in a certain area that was put under pressure and they've had to learn to adapt. And one of them as well was a, was a Cape Graceback. I mean, for me, is one of the most elusive little animals under the sun, but yet we're sitting on my one friend's flat, um, sort of like a penthouse thing, and he's got a garden below, and next minute this beautiful little female Christ, and she was even pregnant. She looked, she definitely looked like she had had a little one in her. Just comes crawling up and starts feeding on the flowers down below. And I, I just looked at this, and I was like, I can't believe that these animals have learned to live within the cities and stuff. So I could be wrong as far as the habitation aspect goes, but, you know, I... What I saw this past weekend, it, it really blew my mind and, you know, in some way it made me kind of happy that these animals are still sticking around, even though with all the noises and, um, you know, cars and all that sort of stuff, they, they're figuring out a way to survive and, and survive well, not be threatened, you know. So, yeah, so, um, of course, um the elephants there, the cheetah, leopard, lion, white and black rhino, crocodile, mainly the Nile crocodile, hippo, bontebok, the olive baboon, that's kind of from East Africa side, uh, like Mali, Ethiopia, Tanzania side. Um, obviously our chakma baboon, that's our local baboon in South Africa. Um, Homodorus baboon, that's from Egypt and the, like the Arabian uh, Peninsula. Um Galada baboon, that's from Ethiopia. That's the more common one you see on TV, especially National Geographic, where it lifts it up a lip and it's the one with the big mouth. Um, Caracal, African wild likes, African wild cat. Uh, Caracal is also known as lynx. Uh, Serval, civet, bay darker, old bees darker, yellowback darker, blue darker, red lecher, vivid monkey. Mountain and Hoffman zebra, brown hyena and black-faced impala. So, yeah, the thing. So, if we go through that list, and obviously the chakma baboon and the verve monkey are the ones that come to mind for me. It And the reason why they do is because I don't think hunting is the one that they need to be protected from. And us destroying their habitat does. So, you know, for me... Um, I actually don't know if this is actually a criteria when you're considering to... I know there's are people that do environmental research and all that sort of stuff when you're looking to inhabit a certain amount of land um, to build on and, and to develop and stuff. But I would think that applying for these CITES permits before doing that also helps us to give some sort of um, figures and stats towards nature conservation to see how damaging they actually are to these sort of species. Um, and will they inhabit? Will they come and, and uh, get involved with human life? Um, can they do that? Are they, you know, the type of animal that, like these grace back in this, this mongoose, you know, the mongoose sort of, when I saw it, I immediately thought of the raccoon. You know, it's just, it's a scavenging animal running through all the trash and, 
just trying to survive by finding whatever it can, but it's dirty and it's, you know, it's definitely not a mongoose that you would see in the wild. So, yeah, so, you know, all these things need to be um, taken into consideration. And uh, one thing you guys need to understand about this permit is you do need to apply for it before you come out to South Africa. So if you're thinking of hunting any of these animals that I've listed, um, please, guys, do a bit of homework. Go back, find out from your outfitter if you need to apply for these animals before. And if there are some, I know, uh, for instance, a mountain zebra, the Cape Mountain Zebra is the one that they've just launched that you can actually export now for trophy hunting. So that's pretty cool. Um, but I know, for instance, like Bontobok is closed. Um, whether they'll open it in the coming 2021 season, I'm not 100% sure. But it doesn't hurt to do your, little, to do your research um, before coming out I know there's a lot of question marks around the leopard um, so yeah you know we that's the one thing about these these permits is it allows for manipulation um, you know some people say oh no 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 just close leopard hunting um, because we can because it's within the restriction of the of the animal and the species um, which I really disagree on. I think it needs to be a community-based thing. Um, for instance, the leopard population is doing really well now in the Eastern Cape, and not many people know that. And uh, being involved, being uh, on the ground and, and hearing stories, I haven't seen one personally. I've seen some on trail camps, especially the brown hyena as well, um, but that's on tops. Uh, is it on Sati? Yeah, it's on Sati's as well. So... You know, those sort of populations are really thriving in the Eastern Cape. Are they ready to be hunted yet? <sighs> Probably. If you gave the Eastern Cape a couple of tags um, to to sell to clients, I think I think we could afford to take one or two of them off um, as far as conservation projects and stuff go. Um, but you know, definitely in the next five years, it's 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 a huge possibility, and I would comfortably say that the population would have bred up enough to do that. So, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things that we I know we use to monitor um, certain species and how they are living and how they're doing. But there are certain ways and means that we that we can go about this to make it work really, really well. Um, yeah, I really believe in the tag system. I think it has worked for the American model. As far as the South African model, there are certain species that would do really well on it. For instance, blue darker, um, I feel it's a little bit unfair that certain people within the Eastern Cape get to have as many permits as possible for the blue darker, uh, CAEs. Um, whereas I think if 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 an outfitter applies for a tag and he gets authorized the tag, and he can sell it on to his client, and they can use that tag to to go and approach another outfitter that lives in the area where there's blue darkers and say, "Listen, I've got a tag. I would like to come and hunt on your property for blue darker." It just leaves that um, a bit of a bit of window for ne negotiation and um, it's a completely different model. Look, I could be wrong. 
I really could be wrong. I don't know. I haven't really weighed up the pros and cons of, of having that system on specifically like the Blue Darker. But um, who knows? Who knows? We need, we need to start evolving. and Because um, the, the industry's changed. The industry has really changed. I mean, it's evolved drastically. And, and the amount of species, I mean, I know the Bontobok in captivity is doing really, really well. And, um, you know, so I just feel that these are all old systems, great systems, great systems in place. Um, but now we need to evolve them as quickly as possible so that we can look after our species as best as possible. So I'm not saying that the system is, is bad. I'm not saying that it's skewed. I'm just saying there is room for improvement now going forward. And, um, how and where I'll have to really just sit down and knuckle down the point of this podcast is just to inform you guys, to tell you guys how how CITES and TOPS work. So it's not to um, it's not to say that it's a, a failing system. I really believe it's working. It's just to say that we need to better it um, in the future. So uh, guys, going on to TOPS now. <clears throat> so if I go into TOPS, I'm going to read to you what TOPS is. Um, TOPS was in, implemented in 2008. Uh, the South African, the South African Government Department of Environmental Affairs and Tourism includes some species in a threatened or protected species list. So that's where it gets its name. Um, mainly referred to, obviously, as TOPS. This regulation was put in place for government to regulate the species numbers of certain species. Although this list includes species of fish, reptiles, birds, mammals, flora, uh, we will only, okay, I'll only list a couple of uh, the species that we would hunt normally. Um, how TOPS works. Um, okay, so how TOPS works is uh, some of them will obviously be on the CITES permit. Um, should you want to hunt any of the, the, the species that I'm about to mention, you will need a special TOPS hunting permit for each of the species listed. Um, your hunting outfitter will take out a TOPS permit. Uh, that's pretty much it's a book. Like I said to you guys, um, most of the outfit is included into the price of the species that you guys are hunting, um, if they're listed. But, uh, also, again, guys, you need to you need to apply for these sort of permits or make sure they're in place before you get out to the outfitter. It's very important that you guys do that so that there's no delay on any of your trophy exporting, um, especially the taxidermies. And, and when I have Doug or Warwick on the show, I'll, I will definitely get into that as far as in the importance of having your paperwork up to date because... It delays the whole process as far as taxidermy goes, and you don't want anything to be held back if you're hunting one of these species in the list. Um, it can hold your whole container back because of incorrect paperwork. So just make sure with your outfitter, make sure with your pH, take a bit of extra time towards the end of the hunt, um, and just make sure everything's in order. Make 100% sure that you take a copy of the permit back with you. That's very important because if there are any snags along the way, um, 
at least you've got the documentation that you can fight it from your side. Um, yeah, it's important, guys. I know it's a, it's an absolute, as, as a young professional hunter, you also need to make sure that these are all ticked. Make sure that you do your paperwork. Um, I've got into a very good habit. Um, once we hunt these, you know, if the species on tops, I've got into a very good habit of actually filling it out that night. And I don't wait until the end of the safari because, you know, you've got a thousand things that you need to um, do, highlight, or make sure that are all in place um, right at the end. You've got to go and check your trophies. Um, you've got to make sure that all your transporting is uh, sorted out so that your clients can get to and from the airport, all your PH registers are filled out correctly, contact details, all that sort of stuff, bills sorted out. So your, your mind's running at the end of every safari, um, and it's your job to actually make sure that these permits are in place. So it's not the outfitter. Um, of course, he plays a huge role in it, but it's you as a professional hunter to make sure that every all these systems are in place. And one of the great habits that I've inherited now, especially growing up, um, I thought, ah, you know, we leave it till the last day, we get everything done then. But it's it's very important that you do it during the hunt, um, that you know that you're not missing the documentation um, when it comes to the end, because you do forget and you do make mistakes. It's it's common common practice, and I'm telling you now before you make these very simple mistakes that can be extremely costly, don't do it. Make sure that all your documentation is up to date. So, um, yeah, that's just one of them. So, guys, um, if we run through the list, black wildebeest. So the interesting thing about the black wildebeest and why it's on here, I mean, if you, if you drive through South Africa today, you'll probably see on most of the game farms that – out there or even private land now uh, normal farmers actually have some of them um, I mean I remember hunting Barbara sheep in the in the Stormberg mountains and every second farmer had a set of black wildebeest you know had a big herd of black wildebeest now the interesting thing about them and you would wonder why they're on this list but in the 19th century they were actually almost wiped out um they were declared as pests um the value of meat was next to nothing and the value of the heart i mean not, not many people wanted the heart of a black wildebeest i mean they couldn't really do much with it and it was a weird animal because it was almost that in between your buck for your you know your your weight for your buck so they really they were light the value the, the the meat was invaluable and so was the heart so they were actually a pest they're hard on a felt so i mean those of you that have seen a black wildebeest are extremely hard on the grass um they ran it flat um they really do 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 damage so if you were a cattle or sheep farmer you really didn't want them there and they actually started eradicating them and since then um because of a program like this, and this is why I say the system is not flawed, it just needs upgrading. Because of this, we've managed to save the species of black wildebeest. And um, I'm predicting that's why they're still on the list, because people don't really want them to get back to it. Because there's, there's still there's still a lot of factors within the black wildebeest that carry a disease called snot sector um, for cattle and stuff like that. So you really don't want to make them invaluable. You want them to still hold their value. Um, otherwise, farmers and, and people, I mean, our population's grown on a daily basis. 
which we need more food um, and people are rather going to use that land for um, for cattle and sheep and or crops or whatever the case may be uh, to feed the country so you know that's a whole nother topic again for another discussion but a pretty nice little interesting fact about the black wildebeest um, again we see in Bontebok, Cape Fox, Blue Darker again um, the African elephant um, unnoticed and I'm not quite sure and I'm hoping somebody might be able to comment on this one um, the forest elephant wasn't in the tops permit um, it's an interesting one for me because I know their numbers aren't as strong as what they used to be so um, yeah just a interesting little fact I never saw it Sharps Kreisbach, Honey Badger, um, Brown Hyena, Spotted Hyena, Leopard, Lion, Nile Crocodile the Oribi. again the Oribi was it's one of South Africa's huge success stories they were also next to nothing out there but uh, thanks to some incredible um, conservationists and farmers that cared about the species have actually protected what they had on their land um, because they understood the value of them and um, have managed to brood up a really good population. I mean, some of the areas where I go hunting, um, my bushwhack down towards the coastline there from Port Alford all the way up to Port Elizabeth, there's some really good um, private landowners there that have really done hard work in conserving and preserving, the, you know, the Oribi, which is fantastic. Um, it's an incredible little animal, uh, definitely one of my top top five small species to hunt, and um, they're awesome. They're awesome. Um, common reback again, you know, common reback um, were brought into certain areas in South Africa. Um, from what I understand, uh, you know, they're more natural to the Natal area, but you can find them now shifting all the way down. We've even got some now in the Eastern Cape, so you can find them shifting down through the Midlands right up until um, the start of the Eastern Cape, which is awesome. Um, so one of the things is is that I'm, I'm guessing is that the, the numbers were, very, were dwindling in the Natal area, and now we've managed to pick them up towards the end. So... Um, yeah, again, just another great success story as far as hunting dollar goes. It's it's an incredible thing to see. And um, definitely, definitely another tick in the box while, while this TOPS permit system actually works because, you know, you want to see the numbers increase. Um, obviously, the white and black rhino, roan, which is an interesting one for me because I know the population does really, really well up north. Um Serval, Sunni and Natal, um, I know it's a difficult permit to get hold of to hunt Sunni, especially if you're after your tiny 10. Um, you've got to really do a lot of work um, in getting a permit for them. I know there's there's some people that wait up to three years just to get a permit, you know. Uh, Tetsubi, Cape, uh, Cape Zebra and Hartman Zebra. Yeah, again, guys, the mountain zebra, just Cape Mountain Zebra, just do a bit of homework on there. Um, I know last season we were definitely allowed to export mountain zebra, which is great because it means their population is increasing. So these guys get to close and, and open it as they please and when they feel the need to, which is an important thing, especially when you're running a permit like this. But I still feel, and um, 
I've mentioned in some of them, like the honey badger, spotted hyena, um, brown hyena, and leopard. The tag system is there. Um, I just feel these are animals that, especially even maybe your Orobi, you know, the thing that I've found now being a professional hunter is that there's, there's a certain amount of people within South Africa that get hold of these permits because um, for whatever reason, and therefore, you know, you sit on a waiting list for years and years and years trying to get in and and be able to you know get but if you if if you know if you don't have financial backing um the chances of you getting one of these permits are very very slim um so there's a couple of people within within the community that can actually dictate price um and really just basically sell to who they want so where the tax system will help is that at least, you know, whether whether you allow it to professional hunters, outfitters, um, all the actual hunter, it just, I think it's a more fair opportunity for people to receive and get permits um, for these animals. Um, because ultimately, you know, if you've brought them in uh, and you've put them on your land, it's a completely different story. I'm talking about people that, that these animals have been there for, for a long time, but you know, if you inquire the permit and you get the permit, it's not to say that the landowner has to let you come and hunt. Um, there's obviously going to be a lot of negotiating, a lot of price questioning and all of that, but at least you've got the permit and the opportunity to use it. Um, I just feel that there's, like I said, there's guys out there that have got these permits and that, you know, they always ask way too much for them. They either ask way too much for them and not park market related prices and um and yeah they can distribute it to whoever they want and therefore we struggle to get these animals because yeah it's not greed it's just it's just power that these guys hold um again not a bad thing um it's definitely working so you know, I can't argue too much about it, but I just feel like that that would be a great way for us to have an opportunity because at the moment as it stands, I've asked around for probably about three years now for ROB for a client of mine and I just can't get a permit anywhere. They're either all sold out or there's some sort of an excuse and... um it's frustrating. It really is frustrating. So maybe that's why I'm suggesting these things. I'm a little bit more frustrated than what I should be. But, uh, you know, um, it's just my personal opinion. It's just what I think that maybe there, there's there's room to improve um, going forward. Like I said, it's great systems. They're working um, with the numbers that have picked up. Um, you know, it, it's definitely not a flawed system. It's just a system that could do with a little bit of revamping um and i always you know i would maybe in the near future or maybe some of them my guests that are coming on in in the next couple of days it would be great to find out from them if they have any knowledge of when an animal reaches a certain um population do they do they get taken off the list or do they keep adding on to the list you know they never take off so because when are we ever going to be satisfied with the number of animals? Um, you know, if we still, if we still got 
baboons and stuff on sites, um, when are we? When is it to say that their population is strong enough now that we can take it off these permits and we don't have to control it as much? It's an interesting question, and I've always wondered that, especially like your black wildebeest and stuff, because I think they've they've developed, um, they've they've built up enough of a strong population for us to to reconsider their status within that they're not so much endangered anymore. So, um, yeah, that's a. It's awesome, you know, it's, it really is. Um, it's just great to see, you know, and a lot of these animals, especially like your Bontobok, I know you've got to have certificates of blood tests um, to identify the Bontobok that they actually have been tested and their DNA is Bontobok because a lot of the guys have interbred with them with Blessback and, um, yeah. Guys, um, again, it's just... It's just my opinion on uh, on these permits. I'm 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 just basically giving you a background on them, because I feel if you're coming over to hunt any of one of these things, it gets confusing. And I've I've learned the hard way. There's a couple of clients that have come out, and we haven't applied for the correct permits before. And when you're over here, we we start wanting to apply for them, and it's it's an agonizing process that that can be solved with just a little bit of homework so that's my idea on this podcast was to give you these this information so that you can go back now before the 2021 season do a little bit of homework make sure that all the um, correct systems are in place correct permits are in place so when you come out here you've got a hassle-free safari um and yeah i had fun doing it i really did this was i think it was a great podcast and um just can't wait to have my guests on uh so we've got some pretty cool guests lined up for the next couple of weeks um they've just been so busy um and they're either in and out of um signals it's one of those things when you deal with wildlife people or wildlife enthusiasts whether it be vets rangers phs whatever is um they come and go you know they're not always in signal so to do skype or to go up and do a podcast with them is always very very difficult but uh hopefully we get it right in the next week um got some exciting um guests on and uh can't wait to share that for me so guys um from myself it's been a fantastic podcast i really enjoyed it uh, i enjoy sharing some of the knowledge that i have around these certain things i'm always learning and i'm always trying to um improve my knowledge as much as possible and um I'm just I'm just hoping that there's some some youngsters out there that that understand and learn um, from these processes and and that you know you're not going to learn the hard way by making school fees mistakes and uh, I I have I've done that um, it's scary and frustrating at the same time but um, yeah so guys um. I mentioned earlier in the podcast, if you guys would like to find out a little bit more about how you would like to sponsor um, or get involved with the podcast through donations or through anything like that, um, please hit me up on any one of my social media platforms. Um, I will be tagging um, a couple of ideas and a couple of ways you guys can do that. Um, I would also be putting some PayPal um, details at the bottom if you guys would like to donate. Um, and uh, yeah definitely give you guys a mention or a shout out on the next podcast or on social media 
Um, but for myself, it's been a fantastic time. We've had a bit of rain now in South Africa, uh, well, in the Eastern Cape side of things. Um, the conditions are looking great. Um, I've had some awesome feedback on social media about some topics that I would like to discuss in the near future. Um, but yeah, just can't wait for the season to come now. Uh, it's been a frustrating year for all, I'm sure. And um, yeah, we're almost there. We're almost there. 2021 can't come sooner. So uh, yeah, fantastic, fantastic time. Um, again, guys, to all the farmers out there, my hearts and prayers go out to you guys. Um, condolences to the ones that you have lost. Condolences to to the terrible fires that have swept and devastated your your land. From our side, um, we're thinking about you guys every single day, and um, I hope things get better soon. And uh, the political onslaught needs to stop. And um, if I can create some sort of awareness around that. I hope I can. So, um, for myself, Dylan Love, have a great Sunday, have a blessed week, we'll keep, keep in touch, and um, stay safe, stay blessed, stay happy. Cheers, guys.